Because I have a dream. And staggered by the winds of police brutality. You have been the veterans of creative suffering. The ballot or the bullet is to either ignore them or to deny them without giving And we stand together to win the war. Yes, we can. Welcome, 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 all y'all, everyone's, you, him, and her, your mama, sister, cousin, brother, second cousin, play cousin, and your grandmama and grandpa to the Wild Wild World podcast here with your boy, old boy, K to the Aura, Kellen Reeves, as well as your boy over yonder, Big Howdy Willie y'all. style, yep. Will Aura Horn. What's good? What's good? Welcome again. We are here, Wild Wild World, here, the podcast of conscious Christian conversation about the chaos of the cosmos, bringing it to y'all here once again on a beautiful summer day where we're happy to be alive despite all of the tension and craziness in this wild wild world will how are you doing today my brother man i'm out here i'm out here doing you know it's i don't know if if there's anything else to say to it but uh, you know that is an honest answer bro it is look before we get too deep to it just want to deep into it just want to remind y'all catch us on twitter kingdom x dreams Catch Will at William R. Horn, myself at old boy underscore K underscore R. You can also check us out uh, on Kingdom Dream, uh, KingdomDreamer.com, where we got all the lovely merch, including this beautiful Kingdom Dreamer hoodie that I'm wearing right now. For those of you on YouTube, you can check it out. You know, this is just the front. I would turn around, but you know, that's going to, but we got the back is beautiful too. You know what I'm saying? And if you're listening, you know, you can definitely go ahead and King, KingdomDreamer.com, check that out. Also, we need y'all. We love y'all Patreon subscribers. Uh, you can definitely go to patreon.com backslash kingdom dreamers. Sign up to support us. Um, you know, we certainly could use your support as we continue to level up here with our, our production value, our, our merch, all those sorts of things that we're bringing to you and bringing to the table. So we certainly would appreciate that. Um, but look, that's enough housekeeping, right? Um, this going to be, as me and Will were talking pre-show, an old school Wild Wild World episode because, look, this is a lot to talk about. You know, we, we're trying to do a professional thing here, so we have segments. You know, we lay out the show. We have all sorts of things, you know, that we try to do to make sure that it comes out nice and, and clean. But this week, this past week, has kind of been the epitome of Wild Wild World and actually why we wanted to start the show anyway to talk about these uh, had these conversations about all these cha- the chaos in the cosmos and right now Will there's a lot of chaos going on bro. Um, so we're going to get into it you know but you know uh, again I just want to make sure you, you, you're straight this week I mean I, 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 have you been tense I mean what's been going on I can share with you how I've been feeling but I do just want to check in with you for real for a moment just how are you actually I mean, doing Will I'm pretty decent. Got a lot of thoughts. Just trying to, you know, trying to walk well with people through things. Uh, mm-hmm. And that role changes, uh, I guess, yeah, it changes being a pastor in this now. You know what I mean? It kind of changes how you, how you think about guiding people through um, yeah. this, this level of chaos. But you're right. We, we're going to go old school on this one. No ads, no segments, no nothing. We're just going to 
talk because right. like, got a no lot to say. No filter. Yeah, and look, I'll be honest with you. I mean, those of you that are faithful listeners, even those of y'all 2021, you know, 2026 listeners that are coming back uh, to check us out. I mean, you know that last week, you know, it was kind of, you know, one of those very special episodes. Uh, we brought my father on. Uh, and we talked a lot about justice, a lot about things that were going on with the murder of George Floyd that had just happened uh, a couple of days before that, right? And at the time, it felt like a high point, right? It felt like a crisis a lot. But it, since then, a lot has popped off. And we'll talk about it in a minute. But man, I, if I'm being honest, I've had trouble sleeping. And those of y'all, if you listen to the show, you know, I'm not really a, hyper, a hyperbolic type person, right? I'm not overly emotional, I don't think. I'm pretty, like, even killed. But I literally have had trouble sleeping. I had a couple basically sleepless nights. Like, well, I, w- I kept waking up through the middle, you know, throughout the night and seeing, George, literally seeing George Floyd's face in my, like, there. You know, like, it, I don't even know how to describe it. And I, I even asked my wife, I said, is this what they mean when they say, like, stress has physical effects on you um and for the first time in my life i feel like i'm really feeling that uh, because it has such had such a visceral effect i mean for all various reasons one uh you know just as as a, as a man as a human being this is upsetting Two, as a black man this is upsetting because this is what we're afraid of right this is why my heart skips a beat when the police pull up behind me like even if they haven't hit their lights just no lie, when I'm driving down the highway, if I see a cop somewhere behind me, I immediately try to get off as soon as possible because I'm anxious. If I'm driving down the street and a cop pulls up behind me, even a couple cars, my general rule of thumb is to make the first right turn I can, right? Mm-hmm. Not left turn because you got to stop and oh, I just want to get out of the way. Uh, let me go. I, I, I want nothing to do with you. And this is, it's been this way for years, right? Um, but also, you know, as a father of, um, you know, Two, two black older sons slash brothers, depending on the day, you know, that are, that are in their early 20s, they're young men. I, I'm concerned for them. And, I, you know, my older son is 15, and he's looking like a man now. Um, you know, so just all this stuff hits me extremely viscerally, and it's just really got to me. And then even beyond that, all this happened, as we talked about last week, literally in my the neighborhood I grew up in. You know, and so I'm watching um, protests march up and down the street in my neighborhood. I'm watching businesses burn that I've been in many, many times. And I'm watching it from afar, too. So I'm not even present to be there. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not even there physically participating or helping or whatever. I'm distant. So all of that is playing a part and just kind of making me just, I don't know. It's 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 getting to me, Will. <laughs> and yeah. I, I've gotten a little better over these last couple of days. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I'm just sharing that so y'all know kind of where I'm coming from as we talk about these things. But just, you know, I, I'm going to do, as I said, I'm sharing, I'm sharing my heart with y'all. You know, I just want y'all to understand where my heart is and where I'm coming from, you know, as, as we talk here. Um, so, yeah, man, so all that's going on. So, you know, we wanted to briefly recap, too, what's happened since we last came to y'all. Um, well, we released a show, I believe, last Thursday. Um oh. And we're recording just so y'all know Wednesday night. So if something crazy happens, you know, it's Wednesday, uh, um, May, no, it's May, no, June, sorry. Wednesday, this June 3rd. I don't even know the date. I don't. I was looking June at the calendar strong. and it, I was like, it's not Cinco de Mayo. Um, but, <laughs> but so the, the last episode dropped on Thursday, May 28th. And actually, not even since um, we recorded the last episode, which was Wednesday night everything has just changed so much, Will. So 
Um, you know, we've had th- things shifted from protests to then you had the quote unquote rioting and looting started. Um, and I say quote unquote because uh, we'll get into it. But basically, you know, in that past week, we've had, you know, in Minneapolis, they burned down the third precinct and there was all sorts of destruction going on up and down Lake Street, which is, you know, street I was on every day, if not every other day growing up. Like, that's literally, it's a main hub of South Side of Minneapolis, and, you know, I'm transferring buses there, going to stores there, going to Foot Lock. Like, it's all sorts of stuff on Lake Street. Like, this is it's where it goes. And so that street got kind of burned down almost. Um, beyond that, the protest spread nationwide. And we saw unre- not just protests, but unrest and, you know, quote unquote, rioting and looting happening, you know, everywhere from D.C. to Atlanta to L.A., San, San Jose, uh, things were popping. I saw there was uh, protests going on in Salt Lake City in Eugene, Oregon. Um, every Chicago got uh, set off. I mean, every major city you can think of, Philly, um, and also smaller places and towns, too, had rallies and just it turned into this nationwide thing, Will, um, that everybody's been talking about. So, um, Well, and now global, too, not just nationwide. True. But, yeah, so to see, this is what's interesting, right? When you think about uh, America has always kind of tried to stand on some higher moral ground than the rest of the world, right? Mm-hmm. It's kind of part of the American exceptionalist idea. And to see, uh, to look out at other countries protesting human rights issues in the United States, mm-hmm. right? How that's kind of reversed. Uh, like everywhere, you know, all over Europe, uh, Kenya, Nairobi in front of that, India, I mean, all sorts of places protesting human rights issues in the United States. That should be a, uh, a shock to some people who've kind of stood on this moral high ground that the United States has claimed to have. Yeah. And the, but, you know, the wild thing is we've been saying it for years and people have been saying for years that, Hey, this country is not what you say it is. Martin yeah. Luther King based his movement on, Hey, we're going to shine the light to the fact that, the ideals the country says it stands for, it is not displaying. We'll shine the light on that. And that was 50 years ago. Yeah, 50 years ago? 50, 50, 60 years? It's a long time ago, put it that way. Um, And we're still kind of at that point. And it's even wilder because this is after, you know, the past five years where we've had national um, debates and discussions about this very topic due yeah. to people like Colin Kaepernick, due to things like Trayvon Martin and, and all of these things. And, you know, I've saw some people make the point that part of the reason why they believe things are as fiery as they are right now is because we've like from black people and, and people of conscious, you know, justice minded people of all races, we've been seeing this. We said, look, over the past however many years, we t- we, we've been talking about Trayvon Martin and Sandra Bland and Tamir Rice and all of these things that have happened and Bochum John and Philando Castile and all these names that just kind of roll off the tongue at this point. And even after all of that, we see the video that we saw now and, and the visceral, just, you know, I won't, won't get into it, but just seeing the video, which most people have, you say, after all of that, we're still fighting this. We're still dealing with this and is this is it's so blatant this isn't even a spur of the moment 
type thing. There is yeah. no lie to be told. There is no, well, the officer was in fear of his life. There was no yeah. lie to be exposed later. It was just there. So people are like, what else has to be done? It has to be said to, to one, change, but two, even on a smaller level, just convince all, all of the people in this country that want to bury their head in the sand that this is, this is the real thing. You know, yeah. so I think people are just angry. I think they're frustrated. I know I've had anger and, you know, I've had frustration. And, you know, we'll talk about some of the responses to that in, in a little bit, Will. But, you know, it's, it's, it's a frustrating time. But, you know, one positive is that you are seeing some responses. Um, you know, yeah. I just wanted to mention, you know, since we last spoke, we saw the University of Minnesota say, hey, we're severing ties with the Minneapolis Police Department, right? Mm. The Minneapolis School District, of which I was in for two years before they kind of nudged me out <laughs> for acting up in like first grade somehow. <laughs> uh, but the Minneapolis School District cut ties with the, the police department. Now, I'll be honest, I don't even know exactly what the police department does, I, you know, maybe they provide uh, security, but I, you know, I thought a lot of schools had private security, but I don't know. So maybe they provide security. I'm guessing maybe at, at like athletic events, you know, there's always cops and police presence around. Um, maybe it's that sort of thing. I don't know exactly what it is, but there are people that say, hey, look, no, we're, we're not going to associate with you anymore. So that's a step, Will. Um, yeah, and we just saw today the, the charges got – Change so they moved up to second degree, and then all four officers got charged with uh, aiding and abetting in second degree murder. Now we'll yep. see. It's still got you know still got to go to trial and a lot of other things, right? A step uh, though. Yeah, and obviously the ultimate goal would be to bring about massive reform to our criminal justice system, right? Um, and to keep putting that pressure on until we see that type of legal change. So, right. but things are, you know, it's not in vain it doesn't appear right at least, right at least it appears to be going some direction you know yeah and, and you you mentioned that massive reform i mean um you know i had a little situation uh this weekend where you know i'm blessed to have a lot of nieces and nephews and many of them are in teenage age I won't get into all the details but in they many of them we had a birthday party and they ended up in a situation where they were talking to these police officers that were across the street from someone's house. And um, one of them wanted to have a conversation with these cops as they were dealing with somebody else. There was a protest. I won't, like I said, I won't bore you with details, but um, I came in there as, you know, the uncle, as the adult, as the person that's been around and say, look, we don't need to have all nine of you guys on the street conversing with these three police officers it looks like it's a thing people are riding by rubbernecking honking the horn like I, it's all sorts of stuff going on so i got most of my there, but a couple of my older nephews still wanted to talk to police and they were basically having a conversation with them about police violence and the cops were giving them their kind of spiel about you know like oh we're you know we want to help the community like this we, you know i'm a man i put my feet up my shoes on or my pants on i'm sorry you know one leg at a time and da, 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 da. um and you know one of the cops made a point he said well you know the fact that we have local police uh, precincts instead of like federalizing the police like they're doing in some countries is a good thing. And I said, well, I don't know about that, bro, because having those local police 
uh, stations, or local police uh, districts, whatever you want to call it, precincts, means that you guys can also sweep a lot of stuff under the rug. That a lot of things happen and, and go by the wayside because, or, you know, a lot of things that the community complains about goes by the wayside because your local precinct doesn't feel like they have to do anything about it and you're not held to the same standards. So federalizing yeah. things would at least mean that we all have the same standards across the board that everybody has to be uh, upheld to. So when we yeah. mentioned even these officers being charged, this is still one precinct. I mean, it's a large precinct, you know, it's the city of Minneapolis, you know, it's a large city. But it's yeah. still only one precinct is not the word. Department is the word I should probably be using. But it's only one department. So these yeah. officers being charged here, I mean, will will be hopefully there'll be some ripple effects. Sure. Maybe officers elsewhere will be uh you know discouraged from doing certain things. But again, if after all the things that have happened over the past couple of years, all the national news has been and these four officers can still sit there and either kill a man or watch a man be killed and do nothing about it. How much deterrent will there really be for these other officers? So charging them is great. And that's one thing. But like you said, well, we really need nationwide actual police reform. Um, and, and that's what it is, man. Like the way police work in this country is, is, is jacked in the first place. It's incorrect. Yeah. You know? Um, but they're really going to start from the ground up and figure out how to change this, how to change the entire mentality of what policing is uh, so that they can actually serve and protect the people they say they're going to serve and protect. Uh, yeah. And that's me being optimistic. So, Yeah. Yeah. And it's hard because, yeah, you got to hold up hope. But that's also what's crucial about the moment we're in right now is that there is protest in every major city in the United States, right? So it's mm-hmm. like, uh, because of the way it's built where it's city by city with these police departments, you know, there's hope that we can start to push more reform beyond just incidents. Cause that's what happened. We saw like Chicago has always historically had problems with the police and brutality and violence. Right. Mm-hmm. And we saw things where it's like, they're pushing them to change, but it's the talk of, it's just a few bad apples in a one department. So we need to oh, help out apples. this. Oh. Yeah. No, yeah. The terrible arguments. Right. So Have we, we talked about to, that? I'm sure, I don't know if we've talked about it on here. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. But, but it's still, it's the idea of like, oh, this, even if there's corruption that's systemic, it's only in this department, not in an entire way that a nation's criminal justice system is set up, right? From right. policing to mass incarceration. Um, so the moment we're in right now to be able to push the protest to um, further reform nationwide is crucial right now so you know i'm holding up hope that we could get to some of those places but it's, it's going to be a difficult ask you know with the history yeah and i mean to, to your point there i mean look some of y'all listening may already kind of notice or be aware of this and be on the same page as me but and i might might have even talked about this last week a little bit and if i did i apologize but the reality is is that the policing is working exactly how it's supposed to if anything, these killings are maybe taking a little bit too far because it's making it a little bit too obvious, right? The police are there to keep power where power is supposed to reside, to keep the status quo. You, you've heard people for decades, black people have been saying, myself included, hey, when we go into these all-white neighborhoods, we feel uncomfortable. We've heard millions of stories about cops stopping black people in, in neighborhoods that they quote-unquote shouldn't be in right? And harassing black people there. We've heard about militarizing police in 
urban areas and black areas of the country and, and police treating the citizens there like they are residents of a country that we've invaded, right? Like treating them like the enemy. And it, that is for a reason. That is because those people in those poor black and, and Hispanic and brown neighborhoods, and even they do this, in my, my, my pops made this point, they do this in poor white areas too. There just aren't as many of those, so we don't talk about them. Right? But they treat those people like they are, uh, you know, like they're peasants because that is the goal. You guys stay over here. Our job is to keep y'all, make sure y'all don't cause no trouble for the folks over there on the other side of the tracks, right? And so when we see you over there on, on the other side of the tracks, we're going to assume you're up to no good. We're going to assume you shouldn't be there because we want to make sure this neighborhood stays safe and, the mo- and these people with the money are okay. And, you know, like that that is the, literally what it is. And yeah. so police brutality is a symptom of that. That's all it is. They, police are brutal to black people because they are supposed to be brutal to black people. They have literally been brutal to black people since police came into existence. Like, this is not a, you know, things were going smooth and then, you know, something went off the rails and all of a sudden we're here. No, this is how it's always gone. When the yeah. KKK was stringing Negroes up, there were police officers there with them. You know what I'm saying? When 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 white men would go and and drag Emmett Till you know out of his out of his uh, family's house and murder him, it would the police who would know full well who did it would be the ones protecting him because they are protecting the status quo. That is how it's always been. That is literally how it's always been. You cannot argue with that. It is a fact, right? When black people marched for their rights and their freedom, it was police that opened up the fire hose on them, that 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 sick their dogs on them, right? It has always been there. Name name a time when black people fought for freedom in this country, and it ain't just black people either. When people have fought for freedom, and the police weren't there to violently oppose it. Yeah. So when people want to say it's a few bad apples, that's not true. If you had a couple uh, paramedics going around stabbing people, we'd say, yeah, that's a few bad apples. That's not what the job is, right? They're, they're, they're going above and beyond. Police are doing what they're supposed to do, right? Mm-hmm. They're doing what they have what they have always been in existence to do. And so when people throw this few bad apples narrative, I, tell me how it's a few bad apples when that's always existed. So when, when we saw black people marching and, you know, during the civil rights movement, were all of those cops that were sick and dogs on them bad apples? Was that the case? Mm-hmm. And if it's a few bad apples, so, and I, I, let me not say it like that. The George Floyd incident exposed something, right? Which yeah. is so many times these killings have been written off as split second decisions, right? Um, some cop thought he was in danger, which again is ridiculous because if you're a police officer, this whole I, I felt I feared for my life should not be an excuse. You chose to take that job. You chose it knowing it's supposedly dangerous, even though it's not technically all that dangerous when you look at the numbers compared to other a lot of the lines of work, right? So fearing for your life should not be an excuse to take the life of those you're supposed to protect. Anyways, usually they're given that excuse. Or saying, ah, it's just a bad apple. This guy over here, yeah, he was just kind of, he, he was racist. This lady over here, yeah, she shot that guy in the back. Yeah, that was, she was a bad apple. What we had was one man with his neck, knee on this man's neck for eight minutes as he, as he cried for help, cried for his mother, said he couldn't breathe. You had two in other handcuffs. men. In handcuffs. You had two other men holding this handcuffed man down, down to the ground doing nothing about their colleague choking the life out of him. You had another man standing there as people were saying he can't breathe. Even after he could, even after he stopped moving, say he's not moving anymore. 
This man did nothing, said nothing, whatever. So now the narrative is going to be, well, there are four bad apples. No, the problem with the police is I'm sure that there are well-meaning people in the police force. I know for a fact that there are people in the police force that are on their own good people, right? But they are part of a corrupt and dangerous organization that has evil methods, that has evil purpose, right? So it doesn't matter if you are a quote-unquote good person or not, if you're trying to do the right thing or not. You are a part of this institution that is the problem. And every time this happens, we want to talk about the bad apples. No, it's a bad system. The system creates these problems, and that's what it is. And I have been, I will say, I've been knocking them. This is the first time I've seen multiple, many, uh, multiple from different areas, police speaking out. There's been people I, I grew up with that are cops that are posting stuff on social media saying, this is wrong. This is not okay. These people need to be arrested. I've seen people in the area I live, police officers speaking out against this. So this is the first time I've ever seen that. And so maybe this is a start of a change. I'm sorry. Well, I know I, I went on a little tangent there for like however many minutes. I apologize, my brother. I know. No, no, no. I, I mean, that's right on point. Cause that's, I think part of it is that what you've said, a huge portion of America, particularly white America, struggles to see and it may not still understand but we have seen with the george floyd case more uh people starting to see that i think what i mentioned last week too is i think part of that's also just seeing all these things in history colliding at one moment and being juxtaposed together with the way that the policing system reacted to white protesters with automatic weapons the way that they're reacting now we see the same thing right militarized police for a different group of people protesting right and the same thing with how you know even the president reacts and it's not a i know it seems sometimes like we're always writing trump but he keeps putting himself out here right is him threatening to um pull the insurrection act of 1807 or something like that right to militarize the police to send the military into police things i mean that's you're talking about sending police on your own country. And he hasn't said anything about, you know, change in policing or anything like that, but that he's going to be the law and order guy. And we've see now we see, right. If you doubted what the law and order rhetoric was about before, you see it in front of your eyes within weeks of each other. When right. was law and order called and what is it and who is it towards, right? It's right. militarizing the police towards the bottom of the social scale black america right mm-hmm. so we see right here so i think that's seeing those things so close together has pushed some people over that you didn't have understanding before of what you're talking about about a system that's been built to do this exact thing which right. is why we need massive reform right it's, it's almost a rebuilding and you know, and that's a good point you make, well, about the law and order, you know. <laughs> People that want law and order and status quo are saying, hey, look, we're essentially okay with the way things work. And I understand it. I get it. I mean, one of the, the sad things about this country is the vast, the various, uh, the large variance in the way that, you know, black and brown people and white people in general, again, in general, view things like police. Like, the police are uh, kind of a safe haven for a lot of the country. If others, it's not. And so when you say law and order, for a lot of people, they think, well, police mean, police means stability. It means everything is how it should be. 
And for a lot of other folks, police means trouble. <laughs> police means danger. Like if I'm at a place and there's a lot of cops, I get nervous. Yeah. The more police, like if I'm at a community event and there ain't no police there, I'm good. Like I'm not worried, and I'm black. Like I'm, if I'm at a like, let's be real. I know a lot of people think that everything black is dangerous or whatever. If I'm at like a you know a community event, you know I grew up going to Rondo Days and Juneteenth and all those sorts of things. You know, like I was good, I was comfortable. If a lot of cops started showing up, because what what would usually happen is as it got darker and darker, the cops would start showing up and being there. People get nervous. I'll get nervous. Like okay, the police is here. It's time to it's time to start rolling out. Why? Because because the, the thought was not that they were here to help maintain peace or that they would help keep us safe or anything like that. The thought was always the police are there and they're going to cause trouble because they walk in there like, you know, the alcoholic stepfather that doesn't really love you. It, it's just all about discipline. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Just like, you know, clean up your room or I'm going to beat you. That sort of thing. And so, yeah, for us, like that, that law and order is what we want. And, and I heard something uh, today that I actually found very interesting, and I and I, I'll give credit to it. it the, the, Brother D. Ray McKesson, who was a dude I've I've kind of like climbed a little bit at times. You know, he's one of those early uh, folks that were on the Black Lives Matter movement, um, and I've you know I've had documented issues with the Black Lives Matter movement at times, right? Um, and some of the things that they've done are still for whatever, right? Um, and tar- and I, when I say the movement, I mean like the actual organization. The organization, the yeah. State. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I've had issues like that in the past. But um, he's doing some good things with this research project. I can't remember the name of it. Maybe we'll put it in the show notes. Um, but he, he said something. He made a point. He said, um, and I want all our listeners to do this real quick. He said, think about the place that you feel most safe. Right. So if you're listening, like hit pause on the thing for like 10 seconds and think about it then come back in. Right. So think about the place that you feel the most safe. Right. And then when you think about this place, that place, when you have it in your mind, ask yourself, are there any police there? Right. And so I, the overall point, and, you know, if you're interested in, in what he said, you can look his stuff up. But it was essentially like we all kind of understand and, you know, at, at its core, at, at, at our core, that the police aren't necessarily fully what makes us safe, right? Like, usually, when you think of safety, you're thinking, like, people you love, you got some stability, you got roof over your head, you got some food, like, maybe it's your grandma's house or something like that, right? The place you feel most safe, most comfortable. There's not a cop standing over there making sure that nobody messes with you, right? Yeah. <laughs> and so I think a lot of this, you know, a, a lot of the rhetoric that gets thrown about about policing and they're here to keep us safe. and that, Like, yeah, y'all don't fully believe that either, right? <laughs> and so I don't know. I, 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 again, I'm going on a rant in the tangent. I know we got some things we want to get to, so so I'll yeah. leave it at that. But just think about that. Yeah, it shows you the power of narrative, though. The power mm-hmm. that narrative plays in how we understand the world. But if we actually confront those narratives, they're not that true. Um, right. So yeah, that's a good exercise to expose that, uh, how we understand safety. Uh, I don't know where you want to go next, Kellen, since this is old school. Do you want to talk about celebrity social media? You want to get into that? What do you feel on that? Yeah, yeah. You know, so before, so we will talk about lamenting because I do want to talk about that. But, I, um, you know, something that popped off today, you know, really in the old school, 
uh, spirit of Wild Wild World. Like, what happened today? What um, happened on Twitter today? What happened let's on Twitter talk now? An hour ago. Let's let's be up to date. Um, but today, you know, my world. I, you know, I'm, I'm Will and I. We both love sports. You know, that's that's a thing of ours. You know, we like sports and entertainment and whatnot. And so, um, Drew Brees finally came out and kind of spoke about this situation. Drew Brees, quarterback of the New Orleans Saints, Hall of Fame quarterback, one of the best quarterbacks in the league, going on like year seventeen or something. So he's got a lot of clout in the league. But he came out on uh, did an interview with think, Yahoo. And they asked him about, you know, said, hey, if the NFL does start on time, whatever it does start, you know, would you be surprised to see a lot of people kneeling? Um, you know, shout out Kaepernick, right? And basically, you know, you can go look at look up what he said. You can go on Twitter, find it, whatever. Uh, but he basically just said, hey, I'll never really support kneeling no matter what because when I see the flag, it's disrespectful to the flag. And when I see the flag, I think of my grandfather who served in World War II, so I'm never down with that. And basically, he getting dragged, hashtag dragged on Twitter, and rightfully so, right? Um, well, you know, I'm, I'm very good. With it. But he's basically getting dragged on Twitter. So what I wanted to talk about was just this whole uh, culture right now, and maybe culture is the right word, but – but since the George Floyd murder took place, right, there's been this element of we want to hear from everybody, right? And if you haven't spoken, why not? Um, so from our famous athletes, from even companies, uh, for, and I think there's also a legitimate part from anybody that seems to be either profiting off of black culture or in one of these leagues where there's a lot of black folks like the NFL or NBA or college sports, or whatever, right? We want to hear what you have to say about this thing, about this, tra- not only this tragic incident, but the fact that the entire country is up in arms right now about, um, or the entire conscious country is up in arms about brutality and police reform and these sorts of things. And so when someone like Drew Brees gets out there and doesn't address the murder of George Floyd, doesn't address police brutality, but just basically says, nah, the flag, the flag, the flag, wrap myself in the flag. I'm still, even though we've had years of conversation about how the Kaepernick protest was not about the flag, I'm still going to, I'm still going to steer the conversation there. And people are upset. And so, yeah, I guess we'll, I just want to chop it up about that. Like one, should we have expectations of these people? To speak, does everybody have to speak and speak via social media? And two, is it fair of us to judge them for not speaking or for speaking and saying, I guess, the quote unquote wrong thing? Mm. Yeah, I feel like this, well, I feel like there's a lot to that, but particularly with Drew Brees, it was kind of wild because one, the interviewer before that said, literally said, you know, Kaepernick's protest was always about police brutality towards blacks. He literally said that. He set it up for him. Mm-hmm. And somehow he missed it. I don't know how he missed it. In the easiest time to not miss it. Um, so I don't know Assume what's going he on. Missed it. Well, yeah, that's true. I'm saying if he didn't want to get dragged in the mud, I guess, right? So mm-hmm. not, not that he – maybe he missed it on purpose, right? I don't right. know. I don't know. But it was just kind of – it actually threw me off because I'm like, even if you think like – that's pretty wild that you thought this way. But I think there's something to be said about holding this tension of, yes, silence is wrong. Or, you know, people say silence is violence. There is an element of that because 
people have sat silent, which is why there hasn't been pressure for change often, right? If it doesn't cost them. But there's also another element of it where some people don't need to speak because they really need to be listening and learning. And we don't see a lot of that right now because of the level it's got to, right? Uh, right. So it's almost like, yeah, you're not silent, but you're only not silent because now this might cost you something. This is why companies are saying something because now it's at the level where it might cost you something. So I have to pacify and say stuff. And you see it from churches, you see it from brands, you see it from people. When a lot of people really need to sit and learn, especially need to sit under, in America, need to sit under black voices and leadership before they really can speak, right? right. And there has been, there's been two different postures of silent and not silent, right? There's the people who are speaking and saying, I am trying to learn, I'm trying to listen, I'm in a place of repentance, right? Those people who are um, of majority culture or not understanding the whole thing, right? But then right. there's also those that are just talking out the side of their neck because now somehow it's going to cost them to not speak, right? right. So there's, there's definitely a tension element with it. I don't know what we expect of celebrities. We talked some about that all this season with MJ and LeBron and social right. things and, right. and stuff like that. It ties in like there is an expectation on celebrities because they have power and influence to speak for good, right? Right. Um, the question is when people disagree on good, I guess. And clearly, Drew Brees, I, I don't even know what to say about that, man. He ain't going <laughs> to be on my fantasy team, I'll tell you that. But <laughs> I don't know. Put up the yard. But no, I mean, that, that, that's, that's the point you make. I mean, and that's, that's the problem is everybody's expected to speak and say something, right? And so what you would say, even if it's in agreement with what we think is right, the value of it is lessened, right? Unless you go all the way in, right? Like someone like Steve Kerr or Greg Greg Pop, Pop, uh, Popovich will go all the way in, right? They'll go hard in the paint, right? And they historically like, okay. have been doing that too. Though. Right. And so we know, and it's like, okay, you really mean that, right? right? But, you know, when, you know, Bob's Furniture comes out and says, hey, you know, we stand with so-and-so, it, it means something that matters, yeah, but it's like, okay, cool. You know, like, you were supposed to say that. But, Honestly, I do think it's fair to judge what people say. Like when Drew Brees, and I'm just using him as the example because he's the one that has the that you know that's, that's popping right now, right? Yeah. Um, so, but there's been other folks like this. But when he who has had the opportunity for years now to speak on the Kaepernick situation, and again, this guy is an NFL quarterback. He's the face. NFL historically, uh, you know, has not done a the best job of promoting his players, right? So the only people in the NFL that are really famous and recognizable are the quarterbacks, right? And the 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 successful coaches. And so you've had years to talk about this. And Drew Brees is someone also that professes to be a Christian. And you have never once spoke on the issue of police brutality. And when they ask you kind of a direct question, you skirt around the issue of police brutality and start talking about the flag. So I do judge you. And I say, okay, at this point, you are showing that you are either willfully ignorant or subtly racist, right? Yeah. And I'll say subtly racist because you are saying, I don't actually either, I don't care about this, this phenomenon or it doesn't, I don't believe in it, you know? And so you got to be willfully ignorant or racist at this point, right? And people, you know, they say, when people show you who, who they are, you got to believe them, right? And so 
with this uh, with this this kind of idea of okay, do, do celebrities and people with a platform need to speak? I kind of think sort of yeah. You know, we're in this world with social media. Yeah. And if you're a person that doesn't use social media, right? Like people said something like, I, I saw Denzel Washington's name pop up. I can't remember ever hearing nothing about Denzel Washington on social media. That man is 70 years old, right? Like, <laughs> that's not the world is he, he lives that old? in. I, I believe he's 70 years old. He's close to 70. Denzel is, is definitely old. Black don't crack. You know, shout out to Denzel. Morgan Freeman is 70 for 35 years. Well, um, that's fair. Yeah, that man's <laughs> But, you know, if you don't live in that world, that's fine. But People that live in this world, right? That that, um, and I, I do want to transition this conversation a little bit to just our personal lives. Um, when you know people that live on a social media world that constantly post social, you know, stuff on social media, be it Facebook or, or IG or Twitter or whatever, and they all of a sudden get real silent about these about this thing. It does make me question you. And I know I, I, I've heard from, you know, I've heard some, some white folks say, hey, I don't really know what to say. And I find that interesting because, you know, I made a post earlier today on my Facebook. And I don't reference my posts because they're brilliant or anything. Basically, I was saying, like, look, I've been blessed throughout my life to have a diverse friend group, right? Like, I'd say the majority of my friends are black. But I, whether it's middle school, high school, or as an adult, I've always had diversity within my friend group. You know, and I'm not saying that like, hey, give me applause, right? It's just a reality. And with that, I've also always been blessed to have, like, the white friends I've had have been people that have been real ones. You know what I'm saying? That have not done the, oh, yeah, we've been friends and I didn't even realize he was black. Like, I don't see color. No, they've always been like, yeah, you're black. Like, this is like this is my friend. He's black. I recognize his blackness and I appreciate him and love him as a human being. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't need to be whitewashed. You know what I mean? And so I like, I, so I, I made that post. So y'all know who you are. Well, you one of them, you know, like I appreciate that, especially now as I'm hearing so many stories about people like, you know, you, you kind of see that other side where people want to do this colorblind thing. And, you know, because they've been talking to that's admirable. That's not, that's not admirable. Right. It's, like we should all have diverse friends, but we should see each other. Like, well, I see you, you are not black. You are not Hispanic. You are white and you are you. But it, 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 it is okay. And I think sometimes, side note, people, it is okay for your white friends to be white. Like, that is okay. It is okay. It is awesome that Will has European ancestry. Like, that's cool. Like, if your answer is, if it's English, Irish, whatever, that's dope. That's cool. Be proud of who you are and where you come from and who your people are, right? We need to see each other and not try, not pretend that we don't see each other and we're friends regardless, right? I'm not friends with you, Will, regardless of your heritage or, or despite your heritage. You know what I'm saying? Like, right, your heritage right. is your heritage, right? That's who you are, right? And I would never disrespect your heritage. I appreciate and love it, right? As I'm sure you appreciate and love mine. Like, that. that's what it means to see people. And so anyway, so I was say so I say that because a lot of my friends have been like they've been very active and vocal on social media and stuff with like even people that normally aren't that are just like, yo, this is wrong. They've been sharing articles. Like, you know, I grew up in Minneapolis obviously, so like they've been sharing stuff about, hey, here's how you can help, here's what you can donate to. I've had homeboys that like black, white and other colors that have been out there in the fight. Um people that have been out there cleaning up, you know? Um and so I don't really understand why it's so hard, why some people are like, I don't know what to say. Now, I'm guessing a lot of those are folks that just don't have a lot of diversity in their friend group. 
But my point is simply like, if you are somebody that's typically active and you don't speak on this, you know, um, I do question you a little bit. And maybe that's wrong of me. I don't know. We're talking about this, Will. You talk like maybe yeah. it's wrong of me to have that question, but I do say, hmm, why are you silent? You you got everything to say about, you know, when Drake drops an album or, you know, when Ellen does something funny or whatever. But now here where you do have a, a voice to reach everybody you know, essentially, you say nothing. And yeah. so, yeah. No, well, that's, I guess I haven't thought too deeply on like, how the nature of that works but the reality is we live in an era of social media which has given more people voices and power than ever before in history right now there's levels to that power and those type of things right um but again you know with if you have a voice and influence even if it's on social media that comes with some responsibility so i it is questionable like if you out here especially i've seen cats like post on like hey just painted my house in the middle of this type of stuff and not say nothing, you know, nothing any other way, you know, it, it causes me to question. And even if you don't know what to say, particularly as majority culture people in something like this, there has to be an acknowledgement of maybe I don't know what to say, but I know what's wrong and I know what's right. right. You know what I mean? You ain't got to yep. say nothing deep. We're not looking for you to lead a movement, but there is a voice there. And on that same side of social media, if you say something publicly, you probably should expect to be publicly judged for it. And there's, there's a rightness with that, especially right. if you're of the caliber of Drew Brees or if you're a institution of any type. Like if you're going to say it publicly, um, you should be ready to be critiqued publicly if it's wrong and be willing right. to learn from that or rebuttal that if the critique is wrong, I guess. Right. right. Um, but you can't. Right. You can't expect to make public statements and then not, you know, respond to those critiques. Right. Which is, you know, like this week I went at a, a big church in my area that has great influence. Oh, they released, yeah. I'm not going to not going to drop any names or anything like that, but they released a video right on a response yeah. to racism. Nicely produced like big, rich white churches do. Right. Um, <laughs> beautiful looking video, but they just like, they missed it bad, right? They were basically like, hey, black people, sorry for what you're going through, but hey, we're not racist. Check out these white savior programs we have to save you fatherless people. That's like, <laughs> and I'm being crude with the way I'm saying it, but that's what they said. It wasn't a response to racism. It was a cry that I'm not racist. And you're the largest church in this area that has lots of influence. If you say that publicly, you're going to get public critique mm -hmm. uh, and I publicly critique them and then they delete the video. Right. Right. But there's, there's a level of, you got to respond. Right. Uh, and mm -hmm. I guess. Well, that's, that's and, and, and I think this is one of those situations where, I mean, y'all might disagree if you want, but I don't feel like there's like multiple sides to this issue. We're not talking about tax reform. Right. No. We're talking about racism and prejudice within the, 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 the powerful arm that's supposed to be protecting us and whether that's right or wrong and how do we fix it. And so if you, you're either on the side of, yes, this shouldn't be happening and we should fix it, or you're on the side of, I'm fine with it. And if you're on the side of, I'm fine with it, then you are in the wrong, right? 
And so if you release a statement and or you say something and it is unsatisfactory, and I don't mean like, again, you don't have to go Steve Kerr on them, but if you can't even acknowledge the realities that are going on right now, then, yeah, you're wrong. You know, mm-hmm. and so that's why I say, yeah, we can't, we can't judge you. And uh, for somebody to release a video, like you said, well, we're not going to talk about the issue at hand, but we're just going to kind of try to prove a point that, hey, no, this ain't us. It's kind of like yeah. as a man, if you all want to say, well, I'm not sexist, you know, like, <laughs> great, yeah. congratulations. But instead of just, we need to do more than just not be sexist. We also need to call that out when we see it, right? Like, yeah. I don't like the term, like, rape culture. I think that's a little overblown. You know what I mean? But we have to teach our sons how to be respectful of women. We have to teach the people around us when we see it. Like, hey, no, this ain't okay. You know, like, that. that's what it comes down to. And so yeah. just say, no, no, we're not the racist ones. Great. Then if you're not the racist ones, don't spend your energy convincing us that you're not racist. Spend your energy doing things that are going to genuinely be helpful. And, you know, and again, that doesn't mean everybody has to be an activist. That doesn't mean, hey, be yeah. an influencer in your area, in your circle of friends. Um, call this stuff out. I, look, if you're a white woman and, and you're in an elevator with a black dude and you find yourself clutching your purse, release your purse. <laughs> <laughs> not release it to, to someone. But I'm just saying, like, just catch yourself in these little acts, right? Or, and even talk about it. Like, hey, you know, talk to people around you about these things. And I, I'm not going to go too too deep into the here's what you do to solve racism because, you know, I know that is nuanced and I know I don't want to belittle how difficult that is for some of my white brothers and sisters, you know, based on, you know, their family or the neighborhood or whoever they grew up around. You know, I know it's not easy to challenge other people with, you know, different worldviews, but it is easy to be yourself and to be, you know, clearly yourself and to not participate in certain things. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I'm a Christian. Like, I'm a Christian. My, like, I'm going to put it this way. Well, you know very well, and people that listen know very well, but I'm a Christian. My views on, like, sexuality and things like that, Right. But I also I also have very clear and strong views on how we treat people, how we respect people, how we care for people, how we love people, right? right. So if I'm around people and they're making like homophobic jokes, I'm not at the very least I'm not participating, right? right. At the very, down, yeah. very least, yeah, I'm not I'm not participating. I'm not gonna laugh at your gay joke. Or I'm not gonna laugh at you calling dude a name or whatever, right? Hopefully. At the time, I say, yeah, no, that ain't cool, right? Of course, I'm not really around people that, like, make gay jokes. <laughs> you know what I mean? I know people think, like, all Christians hate gay people or whatever. <laughs> but that's not my life experience, certainly. So I'm not around that. I'm just using that as an example. But so at the very least, don't participate in the nonsense, people. And if you can, please feel free to speak out against it. Say something. Do something yeah. different, you know? So anyways, that that's that's my high horse I guess I got to jump off of. um, Well, but I think you're hitting the key too, is that this isn't a political division. This isn't a, yeah, like something that is debated on how to go about it. Like this is truly the kingdom of darkness versus the kingdom of of light in terms of evil, right? This is evil and wrong and needs to be, you know, eradicated, right? So you can't politicize and divide it into like it's debatable it's not debatable right you know it's not uh, debatable there's right and there's wrong we're pretty clear on that one right um 
But you know, look, we, we're 50 minutes deep into this podcast, but we still got some things we're trying to chop it up about Will, Big Willie style. Um, specifically, you know, I've been seeing things, you know, we talked a little bit about, you know, kind of our personal social media um, situations that we've seen. Um, <laughs> as I'm sitting in my son's room and like three of my nieces just pulled up to the house and like waved at me, you know, I'm in the second floor. <laughs> so um, if y'all heard that, you know, hey, it's much love. But, you know, I've seen a lot of people um, in my social media feeds that have um, specifically, you know, some of my Christian brothers and sisters that have spoke about, hey, look, I'm out here promoting peace. I'm out here promoting love. Um, I, you know, I just want to essentially kind of some Rodney King, can we all get along type stuff, right? And I've had some conversations in many, many debates, by many, I mean MI and I debates, small debates with some folks about that, right? About the, the idea that, hey, look, it's great to promote love. It's great to want peace. However, we're in times of unrest, that's not really that. That's not really what gets it done, right? Say Martin Luther King, pre, like his whole platform was based on love, right? But it was love with action. I love our this country enough to not sit by and watch it continue. I love our country enough to take action, right? And I love people, black, white, and otherwise, enough to act. And so he acted, and he was also hated. And so when I see people that's just like, hey, I'm just all about love, I say, to me, that's not love. That's you not wanting to, conf- that's essentially being passive, right? Um, because true love is equitable, right? True love is caring. True love means we are on equal standing, Um even at least spiritually. So what we see right now is we're in a country where people are not on equal standing based on their race, right? And so if we're not willing to call that out and then act in some way, shape, or form, even if, again, that's just acting in your circle on that, are you really showing people love or are we simply appeasing them? What do you think? And, and, and we'll move, this will transition to the other topic we're going to talk about here. What do you yeah. think? Well, I mean, I think you're hitting on the head is that's, especially in America and in the English language, we've turned love and peace into very passive terms without, you know, exploring the real meaning. Like you can't have peace if there's no justice. You can't have love if there's no justice either. Right. Mm-hmm. In terms of like, you're not acting loving or for peace by any type of passive action. It's just the reality of the way those words work. So I understand where people are, you know, when they see things that are rioting and looting from small groups of people, and obviously that gets blamed on larger, right? I can understand people's feelings of like, yeah, there's something wrong about that. But, um, you know, saying love and peace and I'm about that. I, I don't know. I guess I struggle with the whole, we like to use words, I guess, in rhetoric in any way to, help us, I guess, uh, pacify yeah. our feelings, I guess. I don't know what the right words for it is. Um, <laughs> or help us. Some people don't understand what that action is, so we use big words in very unrobust ways, like love and peace, right? Those are massive right. words, but they're very, they become very soft, meaningless words in much of our rhetoric <laughs> in America, right? Right. 
Well, and, and, you know, with that, Will, so there's also this thing I've seen popping up uh, in Chris circles, and it's something I, I'm slightly familiar with, but I wanted uh, to talk about this tonight and wanted to, you know, hopefully uh, chop it up with and, you know, bring our listeners in as well. Uh, you know, amongst that kind of love and peace uh, thing that I've seen is I've also heard a lot of people say, I am lamenting, you know, um, I'm lamenting with my black brothers and sisters and I'm, well, I, I am lamenting, uh, you know, and, and I keep seeing this and oftentimes what I've seen this in the form, I'm seeing this from folks that are essentially kind of doing the, I'm lamenting. We just need to pray right now. Right. And it's bothered me a little bit. Well, because I, I certainly believe in the power of prayer. I certainly believe we should be praying. I certainly pray. Need to pray more, but I certainly pray. I know that God can change things, right? Yeah. But I also fully believe that God is not calling us to just pray, to just sit around and pray. Maybe a select few of us, you know, there's, you know, people that are, you know, quote unquote prayer warriors or whatnot that get like, that is their thing. They will, they will get on their knees and they will pray and they will pray hard and like, Hey, that's, but for most people, you know, we forget the civil rights movement was led by ministers of all races, right? They certainly were praying. They were certainly on their knees praying, but they were also acting, right? Um, yeah. Any other revolution you had, you could see in world history was led by activists. So I wanted to talk a little bit about that. So maybe you could break down, well, what this, what this term lamenting means because other people might be seeing this out there too especially again or specifically in you know kind of christian circles yeah well and i think that's interesting the context you bring it in because i think it shows me that lament is a misunderstood word as well if it's being used in any type of passive way as lament and pray because there is something to that right in the biblical call is to also act as answers to our prayers right as god leads us in those those moves. But I think the misunderstanding of the need of lament, particularly in America and particularly with majority culture, I don't know if white people, majority culture feels weird, but yeah. Um, I think the <laughs> you know lack, yeah. Or anybody who's super influenced by white culture. That's what I mean when I say majority culture, I guess. Right. But the misunderstanding of lament and the depths of what it is right? Especially according to the Bible means that you can't do that. So lament literally is protest. So you literally can't lament and pray if it's not protest mm. and pray, right? The, the yeah. idea of lament is that I'm protesting my complaints of suffering, my anguish, and particularly the Bible that goes to the God and then to others, right? It's literally a protest coming out of your suffering. So uh, not just a list of complaints or acknowledging a grievance or something, but uh, it's actually like this liturgy of protest. So mm-hmm. lament is something deeply missing in what Christians need in a time like this, right? Partially because I think the misunderstanding of lament or the lack of lament is one of the biggest reasons that white Christians or majority culture Christians have trouble understanding protest, right? Mm-hmm. Because they've, you know, in and this is starting to happen in some of the black multicultural churches as well, but historically, the black church has been very rooted in the theology of suffering and the dialogue of lament, right? And right. more than any other right. church 
in America by a long shot, right? We have definitely been uh, suffering. <laughs> right. And it's part of the theology too, right? So right. if you look at the Bible, 40% of the Psalms is lament, right? That's a massive yeah. portion of the Psalms, right? The whole book of Lamentations, half of Jeremiah, is this idea of lament. Um, but you look at American worship songs, right? Uh, yeah. They did a study in 2012, like the Christian licensing sees how many times people request to have the song for their PowerPoint stuff like that, right? The top mm-hmm. 100 songs, only five of them out of the top 100 could be considered maybe lament. And mm-hmm. those are usually in the black church, right? Like God hasn't seen the trouble. I've seen those type of gospel songs. You don't see right. those in white churches, right? So America has been trained in this kind of triumphal theology that it's always praise, it's always hope, it's always good things. God is good, he's in control. Don't worry about it, just have faith and believe, this type of rhetoric, right? Mm -hmm. As opposed to, nah, life is suffering right now, right? Mm -hmm. And I need the language of lament, which is the language of protest, to actually grieve these realities and speak these realities, right? As opposed to glossing over, right? The, The theology of triumphal, this only wants easy answers right uh it wants easy answers that offer false hope and not solutions right Mm. so part of the reason i think the white church when they see protests even very well-intentioned we see this on social media right very well-intentioned white people who are like yeah i see this is wrong but i don't understand protests and they don't understand systematic things and all those things i think part of the reason they don't understand protests is because it's literally not in their understanding of the world right yeah yeah so like a theology of suffering doesn't exist the language of lament is not in their toolbox to deal with so they don't know how to deal with the realities of this type of corporate suffering we're seeing right Hmm. Um, which is what's very unique what we need from the black church in america is the black church has a theology of suffering in the in the worship in the preaching um that doesn't exist anywhere else in America. So I, it's really ironic that somebody would use the word laments as a passive term, because it's a very protest term. Like it literally is protest over your sufferings, which is what mm-hmm. the psalmist do when they say, God, why you let my enemy destroy me? The whole book of Lamentations, why'd you let Babylon come kill us? Now we're sitting here, you know, naked and destroyed and our country's burning and all this stuff. Like, you're protesting the reality of suffering, right? And if we can't do that first, we have nowhere to go. And see, you know how I've seen lament and the understanding I've had of it is almost—it's almost—it's almost like godly empathy. It's how I've how I've kind of heard it described. You know, mm-hmm. like I am empathizing with yours with your pain in a deep godly way <laughs> you know and and that's kind of how it's been presented to me before and you know you're and i've even had the thought you know that that's interesting because that then should also drive you to the same action you know what i mean like empathizing with me and just say oh well that really sucks what you're going through while i am then trying to figure out how to take action to stop that but you're you're happy to just simply stop at oh I, I feel your pain and that's it and that's where we that's where we end. To me, that's 
that's not really empathetic. You know, so even when I think about it from the terms of empathy, like that's not truly empathy, right? Like you're just kind of like, oh, well, that sucks that you're going through that, but that's all I'm going to do. That or That's where I'm going to stop, you know? Yeah. And so to hear you describe, uh, you know, lamenting as kind of like it was a protest, like, hey, I'm Lord, I'm protesting this situation that you have me in. You know, yeah. I've done what you've asked me to do. Why am I here? You know, <laughs> and, and, you know, we almost have this element, too, of in American Christianity, but we don't question God. And now God is God, right? But all throughout the Bible, you hear people say, Lord, what? Like, come on. Yeah. I I did what you asked me to do. Why am I here? Lord, Mm -hmm. like you, like you, you are supposed to be here for me and I'm not seeing that. Why am I not seeing that? When is the, where is the light at the end of the tunnel? When is change going to come? We understand that God is in control, but I think we're almost afraid to have, you know, we talk about relationship. Like it's not a real relationship with God. If we can't say, Hey God, I don't get it right now. I don't understand. You know, mm-hmm. that's not a relationship. You know, I talked about the abusive stepfather before, and I apologize. I shouldn't use that analogy because I'm sure somebody's listening has had that. And I don't mean to make light of it. But I'm just saying, like, that's like the almost the abusive parent where I can't question anything you do because you're just going to come down on me hard. I We don't have a relationship. It's only a be in granted with God. We are supposed to be obedient, but we all you know, we are supposed to have a relationship with, you know, with our savior. And so it's just interesting to me that, you know, when, when you, when you put it that way, um, that is so different from what I've seen and what I've heard. Um, right. And that, that, yeah, that mismatch, right. Is what I'm saying is the, you, you can see how theology affects everything else as well. Right. Because there's these years of teaching, not teaching a theology of suffering, or the language of lament, and it's completely missing, which is from particularly majority cultures. So there is no understanding of how that is. So the closest thing you get is some type of compassion lament, which is typically seen out of power views of looking down and pity on somebody and feeling bad, right? right? But that's not what lament is at all, right? Lament is literally this worship liturgy of protest, that God, this sucks, and I'm outraged about this suffering come and change it, right? Right. And then that should pour into protests for change out in the world as well. But and it's the same thing with phrases you said, right? Things like God is in control and those type of things. We say those with no depth because they're easy answers, right? right. For me to say, oh, you know, it's all good. At the end of the day, God's in control. That's an easy answer. That's not really how God works at all in the Bible, right. right? Or what is that nature of control and how does it work? So we've become good at building really good, easy answer, triumphal praise type theologies, and we've completely pulled away lament from it, which is why we're not going to be able to, as a church, understand protests well, particularly as majority culture. Right. And, you know, and that kind of ties in a little bit to, you know, there's other um, church phrase that I've heard a lot. Um, recently and also in the past how many years, which is racial reconciliation, right? Mm-hmm. And I was talking to my wife about it, and we were talking, and we were both like, you know, the idea of racial reconciliation is, a li- I feel like it's a little bit off. And, I, and I'm saying this because I've been seeing a lot of this kind of um, over the past week. You know, reconciliation implies that, hey, me and you, 
were we were here. We were together. We were close. We were on the same page. We were friends. We were in relationship or whatever. Something then happened. One of us did something or an outside force or whatever came and split us apart. And we need to be brought back together. We need to be reconciled. Right. There was, there's no racial reconciliation in America because we were never together in the first one. We were never on the same page. We were never equal. In ter- as a whole, culturally, in terms of, you know, black and white is the easiest one, but when we talk about just all the races and all the different cultures in general. And so I, I feel like even the term racial re- reconciliation, which I've seen thrown out a few times, is almost out there to make white folks feel better. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like... Racial reconciliation makes it seem like, okay, we all bear an equal amount of responsibility to get this thing where it's supposed to be. And I don't think that's true. Um, On a micro level, sure. Like on a micro level, if I have, there's a white person in my circle that I have love for and they don't, you know, maybe they're not all the way fully aware of some of these things. On a micro level, relationally, are there things that, you know, maybe I should or could be doing to help educate that person or to help us come together on the same page and, you know, kind of help them understand some things? Sure. On a macro level, I don't think there's reconciliation because, like I said, we were never together in the first place. On a macro level, the reality is it's more, it, the responsibility lies more upon him. Again, if we can just keep this to the church, lies more upon the white church to rectify things than it does on the black church to, I don't know, explain or make white folks comfortable or whatever the case may be. Right. Yeah, so exactly. this rac- racial reconciliation thing to me kind of seems like a little bit of a farce. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, you say that instead of just, Hey, our white brothers and sisters, we love y'all, but y'all need to get it together in this area. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think you're hitting something because again, reconciliation as a, a robust theology, the way God reconciles and reconciles humanity, but it's become part of it's because of white understanding of the world is very individualistic and everything is just based off you and personal relationships, right? It's just interpersonal stuff. So racial reconciliation fits the categories of interpersonal relationships, right? If I'm just, if I don't hate black people and have a few black friends that I'm not racist, therefore I'm reconciled. And if we all do enough of that, then the world's going to be great, right? Um, And maybe that sounds good on paper to somebody who only can view the world in interpersonal ideas, but I think part of that is that there's a, it's going to take a lot of education for American white culture to understand systemic issues and understand that uh, maybe the system needs to be dismantled before we can talk about any type of conciling, right? (laughs) It wouldn't be reconciling, it'd be conciling, I guess. I don't know if that's actually a word, right? Uh, Actual bringing together, right? Um, But again, it's, it takes a lot of work for people who have been, who only see things interpersonal to then understand systemic issues. And then that a whole system needs to be dismantled for this to really work. Well, and, so. that, and that's the deep thing, you know, I might've talked before about on the show about how, you know, there are literal studies that out there that show that, Hey, for, for white folks, it is much harder for them to see the world on the macro level. Yeah. Um, and that's through no fault of your own. It's because you have always been, for the most part, judged upon your own merits. 
you know, maybe like things like your fa- like your immediate family or, you know, where you're from play a role into it. But, you know, your outward appearance in terms of your race has never been a factor in terms of how you are, you know, how, where you find your place in the world, right? Um, yeah. And so you just in general, white people tend to view things more on a micro level than, than black people do. Like I, I am always aware of my blackness. Like, um, you know, the Bible talks about, I think John said, uh, my sin is ever before me. You know, mm-hmm. uh, my blackness is ever before me. You know, like everywhere I go, I think about it. Just bought a lovely house in a in a nice neighborhood, and as I drive down the street, I'm always constantly aware of my blackness. You know, yeah. because it is not a very black area, <laughs> if at all. You know, and just in general, like that's always there. And so, um, I'm half forgetting my point now, but <laughs> but but just the idea that. Um, we have to, uh, yeah, I, I think I went off the rails there. I, I started well, thinking about the But even with what mind. you're saying, right? <laughs> what, one thing that I do want to make clear is that though it's harder for white and majority culture influence people to see things systemically because of this nature of just individualistic, interpersonal, you know, and that's where you get all the narratives of I worked hard, so I'm here type ideas, right? Right, right, right. Um, but it's not impossible nor that far off because there are certain things that white people understand systematically, right? Or mm-hmm. uh, like white Christians in particular, abortion is the thing, right? They understand there's a system of abortion that needs to be funded so that it stops, right? In a sense. Now, the reason there's a bigger gap is because we don't understand how the construct of race works. Right, but you know th- that might even be an excuse. I I saw something again, it, you know, it was a Twitter post or whatever. But someone said, "Hey, you know, a lot of white folks can fully understand how some a kid can be bullied at school for eight years and then go shoot up to school, okay. and we understand how that affects them. But we can't understand how, or they can't understand how. Hey, if people can be depressed for four hundred years and then they go burn a few buildings down, <laughs> you right. know what I mean? Like somehow, all of a sudden, you can't understand. So. I, I almost feel well like we're at a point where we got to stop giving these people passes. Right. Where, and that's what I'm saying. That's my point. Right? Yeah. It's not impossible, right? Though it may be a, a gap to jump over, it's not an impossible task that needs to be an excuse because white people do understand certain things systemically, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but they don't understand. Well, they certainly understand racism. affirmative act. They certainly can talk about affirmative action, you know, yeah. or the welfare system and all these things, right. you know, but policing uh i don't know what you're talking about right exactly so it's exactly that's my point is that there are systems in place that people understand um so the gap to jump to understand the system of race shouldn't be as big as we make it though you know it's understandable in some sense i don't maybe it's not the right i don't know how we got here you know, I feel like we're at the point, and I've said this, I say this about people in general um, when I have these conversations with people, but I kind of feel like we're at the point where societally, um, you're either willfully ignorant or you're okay with the way things are, or you're racist whether you want to admit it or not, right? Um, and I kind of think those last two things kind of go hand in hand, right? But for adults that are out here to remain ignorant of these systems and these things when all the information is at your fingertips and it's, it's readily available if you just are looking for it. Yeah. I mean, uh, I think 
we got to get stop giving people a pass. But um, yeah. you know, I, I've seen too well, uh, and, and we talked uh, briefly touched on this, but you know, one thing that has I'll be perfectly honest, one thing that's bothered me a little bit, um, and for some people I know and love, uh, especially within the the faith community, um. You know, I talked about it a little bit, this whole idea of, okay, we're just spreading love, promoting peace. But, you know, we talked about things that have changed since the last time we recorded. And we have purposefully kind of not talked about it here now. But, you know, all of the quote-unquote rude, uh, let me say my Rioting and looting. Rioting and looting. I almost said rooting and lighting. <laughs> Rioting and looting that's taking place. Conveniently, for a lot of folks, that's taking up the uh, the mantle. And I'm going to just be real with you, right? My church has a Facebook page, and I love all y'all to death. I really do. But if you listen to it, I'm, you know, I'm speaking my, speaking my truth here, which I hate when people say. But there was very – there was honestly precious little spoken about the George Floyd murder when everything popped off, right? However – once there started being some property damage in our community uh, here where I live in Lake County, Illinois. Uh, hey, I live in Lake County, Illinois now. I, I actually lived there. Oh, you, just, you made it back. Yeah, yeah I didn't wow. make it back. It used to be like, hey, I lived in uh, you know somewhere else. But, you know, was, whatever. <laughs> now, all of a sudden, there's a lot of people got a lot to say, right? About, oh, this is such a shame. And so, well, I had said something on, on you know, this Facebook page where I said, you know, there are so many words being spoken about the loss of property, but so very few about the loss of life. And now my church is very multicultural. And I don't mean multicultural in a way that, like, a lot of Christian, a lot of evangelicals like to use it, where it's like, hey, the church is 90% white and all the leadership is white. Uh, and there's, like, like, five or six black families. I mean, it's literally a multicultural church, you know. Yeah, it's it's pretty diverse. Um, and it leans more to, towards black and brown than white, um, if I had to, you know, throw numbers out there. Yeah. Um, but it bothered me. And, and on top of that, I've seen just a lot of folks just saying, okay, hey, but like I said before, we're just going to pray for peace. You know, people have been sharing, you know, different memes and stuff like that, talking about the rioters and the looters and da da da. And, you know, it drives me crazy, Will, because rioting and looting is simply a symptom of the bigger problem, as you know. I know I'm preaching yeah. to the choir here, but the problem is not rioting and looting. That's not the problem we're dealing with here. People are not just rioting and looting for no reason, right? This is anger and a response from things that have been happening for years and years. And we, and if you're listening, you know all of the other things that are out there. You know that there that. I'm pretty doggone sure that there have been white supremacists. Like, I don't know if we've had hard evidence. I'm pretty doggone sure that there's been white supremacist groups that have taken advantage of this stuff and have incited some of the violence and the rioting, right? I'm pretty doggone sure that there's some Antifa groups that have done that same thing as well, right? Fine. But even if, you know, so everybody's now trying to differentiate between the peaceful protesters and the rioting. And I, that's annoying me, too, because this whole, well, peaceful protesting means one thing. Rioting means another thing, right? Where if you're doing it the way we're okay with, you're good. If you're not, you're not good. Screw all that. Screw all that. Like, the reality is people are pissed off because of all the things that have been going on. Like, I'm 36 years old. I've lived my entire life afraid of the police. I, you know, again, my life is a little unique because I grew up, you know, my, my pops was on last week. I grew up with, you know, with that man as my father on the back of police or not police on the back of 
uh, pickup trucks, you know, while he had blow torns, blow, <laughs> uh, blow horns, yes, blow horns, leading riots, shouting no justice, no peace. So I've lived in this. I've been aware of it. it but, but a lot of people are still, even people that didn't live my life are sick of this, man. And so, yeah, is there some rioting going on a little bit? Yeah. Is there some destruction of property going on a little bit? Yeah. But that is small compared to the loss of life that's been going on. And so everybody that's out here wanting to talk about the rioters and the looters, you are missing the point. And you are willfully missing the point. And to the point where you need to be quiet. And I, I, I might, and if you hear this and, and you know me, I love you, but you need to be quiet talking about that. It's not helpful. It's not changing things. Nobody thinks that rioting is the ideal way to deal with the situation, right? But, comma, but, we know that it gets attention. Name me a revolution in history that has happened without some property damage, right? The 4th of July is coming up, Will, in a month. Guess what happened during the fight for independence? Property got damaged. Yep. And guess what we do every year? We celebrate the fight for independence where property got damaged. Guess what happened after Martin Luther King was murdered in the 60s? There were riots. Property got damaged. Guess what happened a week later? The Civil Rights Act was was passed, yep. right? Ten Every ago. country in the world, the rough and the the, the Bolshevik resolu revolution, mm -hmm. there were riots. The French Revolution, there were riots. Property got damaged. There was literal fighting in the streets. <laughs> you know what I mean? So this whole like. 2020 American nonsense of oh think of the children were damaging property like no nobody wants to see like property damage of people who built businesses really hurt like nobody really wants to see that right but it is minor in compared to the 400 years of oppression people have been facing it is minor in compared to the fact that that ge every generation of Black Americans that have ever existed has grown up in fear of the police right. So let's stop talking about the freaking riots. Let's stop talking about the doggone damage, right? It sucks. Can we go help clean it up? Yeah. It really, we all know it sucks, but you're preaching to the choir. Nobody wakes up at 8 a.m. and says, you know what? I think I'm going to riot tonight, right? Like if, there might be a few people, but they are the precious few, right? And even if they do, it's probably because they're pissed off. And they're probably pissed off, Will, because, because of the way things have been going. And they're probably saying, look, if y'all ain't going to hear me, if y'all ain't going to change things, I'm going to break this window. You know? So let's stop focusing on a broken window, which is property and can be replaced, and start focusing on the reality of what the actual issue is. And if you are somebody that has been posting stuff or speak or in their day-to-day conversations talking about, oh, how bad the riot is, and if and if your ratio has been 95% talking about how, how terrible it was what happened to George Floyd and Ahmaud Arbery and um, Breonna Taylor and Sandra Bland and Philando Castile and only 5% of, and oh yeah, it does suck that property was damaged, then you need to check your priorities because you care more about property than you do people. Property that changes hands all the time. You know, property that oftentimes, you know, people say you're, you're tearing up your own neighborhoods. Yeah, you know what happens in those neighborhoods? Most of that property that's being damaged is not owned by black people, even though black people have been in those neighborhoods historically. You know, yeah. I grew up, like I said, I grew up in South Minneapolis. That's not the blackest part of the city, but like over there on Lake Street and whatnot, it kind of is. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Most of those businesses were not black owned. 
You know, a lot of them are large cor- corporations. You know, so ask yourself, why is it that we're, that the businesses that are in these black neighborhoods are not black owned? Why is it every gas station in the black neighborhoods is owned by the uh, by East Asians? You know, much, much love to my East Asian brothers and sisters. You know what I'm saying? There's not, not necessarily a dis, a no, no dis on y'all. Just a reality. Just, yeah. yeah, just a reality. Ask yourself why that is. Ask yourself why the beauty supply stores that are in every black neighborhood across the country are owned by Korean folk. Again, no, not to, or Korean or Vietnamese. I can't remember. Whatever. But owned by Asian folks, right? And black people don't own these things, right? Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the real issues at hand and not get caught up on the peripheral stuff. We break a window to get your attention. Now that your attention is here, stop talking about the fact that the window is broken. Let's talk about the issue at hand. Yeah. And I'll say two things to that that I think are important for one is honestly things don't change until economics are affected most of the time, right? Uh, and that's part of it as well, right? If you're not going to touch economics, you're really not going to put pressure on the change. That's not me saying I'm pro riding and looting, but there is logic, I guess, behind some. Right. But then the other biggest idea, right, is that, you know, I think Christians should walk in the way of nonviolence, which would probably include riding and looting, right? But people who cite nonviolence or, or you know, peaceful protest, not trying to ride and loot, no, none of y'all can cite Jesus now because you've never been consistent in your nonviolence, mm. right? Mm-hmm. And that's what makes me mad about it a lot, right? It's like, you know, last you was all about Second Amendment last week and, and guns and violence and all sorts of things, but now writing looting matters because it's, it's violence. Like, at least be consistent in your ethic and nonviolence, right? Let me say, folks that, are, that, are, that, that wrap themselves in the flag and talking about we can't, just, we can't say nothing about the our military. military. Yes. We're so happy with the military going into different places around the country, or I'm sorry, around the world, uh, including the Middle almost East. Almost the country. Almost yeah, the country. Almost we'll country. see. In, in the Middle East, and in, in, in violently putting down uh, you know, other cultures and other, other, things, other um, exactly. uprisings going on. You have no problem with that. Yeah. Matter of fact, you get mad at us if we have a problem with that. Yep. But here somebody breaks a couple windows and all of a sudden you got an issue. Right. And that's where it's like, be consistent. And I'm speaking directly to Christians with this, like people's other ethics on violence is whatever, you know, but like, if you're going to, as a Christian, um, prioritize rioting and looting for the, with the reasoning of nonviolent peace and these type of things. Right. Which is why, you know, people always, you pimp Martin Luther King for their own cause. I'm just saying, be consistent in your ethics. And even That's the, people that, the people that pimp Martin Luther King, man, that pisses me off, man. Like I saw, I've seen the meme being posted where it's a picture of King and it says, this is protesting. And then they got pictures of other folks saying, this is rioting. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know what happened when King protested silently? The dogs got sick, though. The water got, that, that's what, so what you're saying is you are okay with people protesting peacefully and have a violence rained upon them. But you're not okay with people saying, okay, look, we're not going to wait for y'all to beat us up. We're going to go set some things off. Why? Why is that? You know what I'm saying? Like, King was literally murdered. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. are you saying, hey, I'm okay with the system or with the system and the government murdering us, but yeah. I'm not okay with, with people fighting back? Right? Because yeah. what you see in a lot of the protests nationwide is that things have been kind of okay. There's just been protests. And then the police come in with Initiate. their military gear, gear on, yep. 
fire rubber bullets at people, tear gas, all of those sorts of things. What they were doing in Minneapolis on uh, Wednesday before all the rioting started. Like the police were the ones that made the, the situation violent. Right, and then the rioters got pissed off. You know, all that stuff happened. So I don't know. Well, it, it's it's something that is just it's been irritating me. You know, yeah. um, I, I don't, I don't really get it. I, I really don't get it at this point, especially because it's, you know people that I know kind of know the truth. It, it, it's just it's a waste of time. It's it's one of them red herrings. Excuse me, just like Kaepernick and the flag. And unfortunately, you know, there's always something that people utilize to take their mind, you know, kind of off of the main thing. You know, one right. thing my father-in-law was my pastor for many years said, as always said, is keep the main thing, the main thing, you know, and the main mm-hmm. thing here is police brutality. That's the main thing. That's the issue at hand. That's the issue causing the rioting and all those other things. So let's focus on that for now. You know, um, rioting will end. Right, we we know wow. writing has a shelf life. It's usually a couple days, and people kind of burn themselves out. But poli- there, there's been riots before, and police brutality yeah. has continued. Yeah, exactly. Well, and that's the big thing too is remember again, it's property, right? We're not right. we don't see people out here running mass killing and stuff like that, except for the police. Right. You see what I'm saying? It's like, oh man, if somebody said somebody said to me, um. And I love this. I love this brother. I do, but we had a disagreement. Um, and I'm not gonna put his name out there because, like I said, I, I got love for him. But he said something about saying, hey, "This is a black man." He said, "Black black folks want an eye for an eye." I said, "No, nah, if black folks want an eye for an eye, there'd be a lot of dead cops out there, right? Like if that's really what if that was really what was going on, there'll be a lot of people shooting at a lot of cops, right? That hasn't happened. I mean, I know that actually one time in um." In the either Iowa, there was one place where there were some cops that got shot. Somebody did shoot at the police, right? And again, we're not advocating violence, but if that was what people wanted nationwide, this would be yeah. happening all over. There'd be you know some like, issues, yeah. Yeah, I grew up in South Minneapolis dealing with this stuff. Like my pops wrote for the newspaper, the local black paper, and he whenever an incident like this would happen, he would go and you know I'll, I'll be with him on the weekends. We go and investigate the situation. I remember being with him as he talked to family members about this, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't recall people being like, yo, we're like, it's war on police out here. Like, we're just about to go pop police when they pull. Like, pe- people don't do that. I mean, mm-hmm. some of it might be self-preservation, but no, black people don't want an eye for an eye. They want justice. They want the people that were doing this arrested. Like, you put it this way, George Foreman is still breathing, or George Foreman, George Zimmerman is still breathing. Yeah. No, ain't nobody ran ran up on George Zimmerman and shot him. Now, granted, he's not a cop, but ain't nobody ran up on him and shot him yet, right? Yeah. So, black people just want justice. They want the people that do these things that are supposed to be protecting us to be punished when they do. We don't want no eye for an eye, you know. And so, we're not out inciting violence. We don't want anarchy. We want a society that's equitable and fair, and where we don't have to then be fearful when we see the people that are supposedly there to protect us, right? Like Dave Chappelle had a joke back in the day, say, "Hey, when some somebody breaks in my house too, I want to call the cops, but I can't because they'll never believe I live there. It's too nice a place, you know that whole joke, right? Yeah, like yeah. something pops off, then somebody breaks into my house." The police are who I'm supposed to call. That's the way society works. Um, you know, I saw somebody else make the point and said, hey, look, this is all a social contract. You know, 
we are supposed to follow the rules and be good citizens and all that. And you over here, the law enforcement arm, are supposed to be here to protect and serve us and be there when we need when we need help, right? When we need somebody to come, when we need help, right? Because we know we're not supposed to take the law into our own hands. So you are supposed to be there for us. But what we see is time and time again, we've seen black people die at the hands of police when people have called because somebody is having like a they need mental help or they need help because their mental health is out of whack. Right? right we've seen that happen we've seen um black folks that have called police for other things for and and, and, and died at the at their hands like hey i called the cops because my neighbors are doing something and i'm the one to call the cops and now i'm dying or i'm being arrested like i just saw a video of people trying to protect a business in i want to say philly i keep saying philly maybe everything's happening in philly <laughs> and they said hey, the police were talking about they waved the police down and say hey those folks over there were trying to destroy this building. We're trying to protect it. And they got put in cuffs. So what's happening is police are not, they're not holding up their end of the social bargain. You know? And we're saying, hey, look, you can't keep expecting us to be good citizens if that's not, if we're still going to be brutalized even when we are. You know? So I, I don't know how much work it's taking. I'm trying to be kind to people on the social media platform, Will, but it is what it is. Yeah. Yeah, social media adds a whole nother layer to this. Um, makes it a unique time in history, man. I don't know. It definitely is. Uh, anyways, uh, look, we've been, we've been going for a little bit here. It's the two-hour special. Two-hour special. I, well, I don't know. Do you have any other thoughts? I, I feel like I've said the things that have been kind of heavy on my mind over the past couple of days that I wanted to share with our Wild Wild World family. I don't know. You got anything else you want to put out there before we move on? I mean, um, I guess the thing I would end with, and at least that I'm encountering, is particularly for majority culture and those who are not, I guess, recent immigrants to America and don't quite understand the way race in the history of race in America, mm-hmm. the way it's constructed. Um, my primary advice is to use that you submit to black leadership of black voices during this time um, because yeah that's that's what's going to be needed um, you submit know, to that leadership you know that's that's the biggest thing huh? that, and that's interesting well it, it just just to piggyback on that a little bit you know I feel two ways about that right um, this whole idea that you know for things to change in America you know um, white folks need to talk to each other, right? Um, and so I agree with you in terms of submitting a bit to black leadership in the sense that, hey, this is something we've dealt with. We are we are experts in this area, right? Um, yeah. And so hear our voices as we explain this and talk about this. I also do want to encourage my, you know, my white brothers and sisters out there to, to feel for, to do you as well. And I know that's kind of dangerous ground, right? Like, do you is uh, always dangerous ground. <laughs> it is a little dangerous. Like, look, um, you know, one of the most popular podcasts out there is the Bill Simmons podcast. He does he's sports pop culture. If you on any podcast platform, if you look at the top podcasts, just like Joe Rogan, his is always kind of up there, right? And so he did a podcast. They do a regular podcast on Sundays, and he did one with his co-host, uh, this dude named Ryan Rosillo, who used to be on ESPN or whatever. And they were chopping it up about all of this that's going on, right? And it came across as very tone deaf. Like, these are two middle-aged white guys. Um, mm. 
and I'm not going to get too much into it, but I've had some criticism of how Bill Simmons has used his, his platform in the past. And it kind of came, definitely came across his tone note that they talked about police friends they had, and it, it just, it, it wasn't great, right? Yeah, right. But it was, on some level, it was, they were coming from, they, I, I do believe they were being honest about kind of where they were. But in, in being honest, it was very clear that, hey, y'all don't, know enough about this and y'all don't clearly haven't educated yourself enough about this and you clearly have a lot of blind spots right mm-hmm. and so people kind of roasted them for it right and so I'm conflicted because I'm like on one hand look I want I want white folks to be able to talk about this stuff and figure it out and go through it. but you do if if you have these blind spots there is reality if you do need to learn like if, well if you and I got on here and wanted to have a whole conversation about I don't know, name a topic, you know, women in the workforce, you know, we have perspective, some perspective, but we would need to have somebody with more perspective that has lived that, that knows about it, or is even just an expert in that field, you know, on there. So we would probably want to have a woman on the show that knows what she's talking about in this, in this area, you know, mm-hmm. um, if we're going to try to talk about it intelligently. Now you and I can just chop it up and say, Hey, how do we deal with women? And I want for us to like, are we showing the proper amount of like respect? Are there any areas that maybe we're not recognizing where we're a little bit off or a little bit antiquated in our feel, in our thoughts or our actions or whatever? Me yeah. and you can have that conversation together. But if we're trying to learn and grow, we need to say, look, either let's find a resource or let's find an individual who is, who is a resource on this, you know? So yeah, I, I would say, yeah, submit to black leadership, definitely, but feel free to have those conversations with each other, but do your best to recognize what blind spots you do have. You know, I go back yeah. years ago, I had a conversation with a friend of mine, um, white friend who has a child that is um, black. And we were talking about this very issue, police brutality. And I remember he said, hey, look, I'll never actually, like, I just like, I'll never fully understand where you're coming from. I, I don't think I'll ever see the police the way you see them, right? And I think he was being sincere at the time. like, But he was willing to listen to what I was saying. He was willing to hear me out. And he realized that, okay, he'll never, like, he doesn't think he'll ever kind of see it how I see it. But he also recognizes that he has a black child that mm-hmm. will quite possibly have some of the same experiences I've had or have to at least deal with some of the realities that I have that he has never had to as a white man that's grown up in pretty much majority white areas. But he was also smart enough, wise enough to say, let me talk to my friend about it. And and I don't want this to turn into like, hey, go call your black friends and ask them about COVID. Yeah, that's not... But at the same time, like, look, I mean, there's a reality, Will, that like, if you don't know, you know, and maybe right now is not the right time because it's heightened. But if you are sincere and well-meaning, I would encourage you to educate yourself as much as possible. And when you yeah. have blind spots, if you have black friends that you are comfortable with, talk to them. But please don't talk to them in a way that's, hey, Negro, educate me on racism. You know? Uh, and that's the thing with this. I mean, <laughs> when I'm thinking of submission to black voices, there is so much, so many resources out there, right? right. So if you start with that honesty of like, yeah, I got blind spots, and then you submit to black leadership in that there's tons of resources, tons of books, tons of articles, tons of people you could even follow on social media to begin to learn. That's it. It's an easy place to start, but you have to be willing to do that first, right? 
Right. And uh, this issue isn't even, honestly, it's not even all that complicated. It's kind of yeah. straightforward. What What is complicated is that the perceptions and the way we've been brought up to think are yeah. so very different. And so I think for a lot of white folks, there is just this, this barrier of, I've been raised to think about this thing one way. And this one way is actually correct for me in my life, right? Police, the way I've been raised to think about police is true for me, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. But there's this whole other segment of society that police is something different from. And I think that's very hard. It's like when you know some, like, I don't know if you ever know somebody and they're like, or if, matter of fact, if, if you ever been in a relationship with somebody and I ain't trying to put nobody business out there, no, like if you've had a, a girlfriend or whatever uh-huh. and when you're with that person, they're, they're one way, and then you, you know you meet other people that know them. They're like, "Oh yeah, they kind of a jerk." Or this and that. you're like, "What are you talking about? I ain't never seen it." And then you see that person you're with act a certain way towards other people. You, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, yo, yeah. I never saw that side of you. You know, or even a friend, I never realized you were like that. It's kind of that way. Police have been ra- like so many people have been raised to think of police as friends, as the protector of their community, and all and that sort of thing. Figure, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And then it's like, wait a minute. No, 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 no. This same thing that I've been raised to think is a protector is an oppressor for other folks. And I can't get that. And I think that's what my friend was telling me. It's like, I, that, that, that's, that's a bridge too far. It's too hard for me to rectify those two things. Mm-hmm. And so I just, I encourage folks just to hey, open your mind, research it, read about it. There's all sorts of books, movies, you know, that you can read. The, say, it's easier than ever there. right now to learn because the resources are abundant right now. Right. So you have no excuse to say, I don't know is what I'm saying. You know, like don't I can recommend 10, 10 documentaries to you in 80 books right now. Right. Hey, you know what? what let, let's put some of that in the show notes. Let's, let's write some out, put them in the show notes so that we can be out, you know, put it out there for folks. So those that are well I mean, and really do want to learn, because yeah. maybe now your eyes have been open. You say, okay, look, let me let me learn more about this. Let's put some of those out there and let's get it together. So, um, yeah, I, 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 uh, uh, someone I knew had made a post. This is a white woman, and she started the post with said, "I will no longer be willfully ignorant," and then went on to say some things I agree with, whatever. But that has stuck with my mind for the last week. So I will mm. no longer be willfully ignorant. And mm. I think a lot of people have been willfully ignorant. And they've seen th- these things going on and they put their head in the sand because it's too much or it's too big or it's whatever. Yeah. Don't be willfully ignorant, you know, because a lot, it's getting to the point where you have two options, you're either willfully ignorant or you're kind of racist. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that, it's yeah, you're on the side of oppression. You need yeah. Oppression. Either way, you're on the side of oppression. So don't be willfully ignorant, you know. And so we'll we'll do our best to try to help you what we can. And um, you know, if you again, I encourage you if you have thoughts, questions, concerns, hit us up. You know, um, hit us up on Twitter, on on Facebook. Shoot us a message, leave us a review, and you know, we'd love to talk a little bit about y'all thoughts because we are now going into an almost two hour podcast. Well, I think it's two time to special. let the people go. Yeah, yep. I think it's time to let, let our people go. All right. <laughs> hey, it's been good, Wild Wild World. This is your two hour special. Uh, walk with us, we'll walk with you. And I guess we'll see you next week. Peace. We love y'all. See you. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Wild Wild World Show. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review. 
follow us on Twitter at KingdomXDreams and learn more at KingdomDreamer.com.